talking about David E. Kelly's award-winning series, The Practice, going week by week through the series. This episode is season four, episode eight, entitled Committed. This is, oops, episode number 69. And uh, if you're if you're getting a somber tone from us today, uh, it's because we are recording this on June 1st, 2020. Um and our country is experiencing a uh, pretty devastating crisis at this at this moment after the uh, after the murder of George Floyd. Yeah, uh, civil unrest, not just across the country, but spreading globally. Powerful voices saying powerful things that need to be heard. Attempted spin on messaging taking place. Uh, not a lot of national leadership from the White House being shown at this point to que- to quell the very raw wounds, justifiable raw wounds. Yeah, it, it's I. It's so funny. I have spent the morning trying to figure out uh, what to say from my perspective of a privileged white dude. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, sitting here in my COVIDcation beach house and I and I feeling so torn between the knowledge that I people like me just need to shut up and listen right now. And at, mixed with realizing that people like me need to be fighting like you know it's it's like that quote going around like it's not enough to be uh not racist you have to be anti-racist and you have to use your voice and use that privilege uh in any way that you can to help so i've spent oh i spent the morning trying to write something to say and i wrote I wrote one and I was like that sounds like a convention speech and then I mm. deleted it and then I wrote another one and it's sort of the same thing and uh what I've landed on is uh better than from me I have a uh, I have a quote here from the author and poet Scott Woods from a 2014 essay on his blog and we will link his blog in the show notes and what he says is 
The problem is that white people see racism as conscious hate, when racism is bigger than that. Racism is a complex system of social and political levers and pulleys set up generations ago to continue working on the behalf of whites at other people's expense, whether whites know it, like it, or not. Racism is an insidious cultural disease. It is so insidious that it doesn't care if you are a white person who likes black people. It's still going to find a way to infect how you deal with people who don't look like you. Yes, racism looks like hate, but hate is just one manifestation. Privilege is another. Access is another. Ignorance is another. Apathy is another, and so on. So while I agree with people who say no one is born racist, it remains a powerful system that we're immediately born into. It's like being born into air. You take it in as soon as you breathe. It's not a cold that you can get over. There is no anti-racist certification class. It is a set of socioeconomic traps and cultural values that are fired up every time we interact with the world. It is a thing you have to keep scooping out of a boat of your life to keep from drowning in it. I know it's hard work, but it is the price you pay for owning everything. That is Scott Woods, again, in a 2014 essay, and I I think he put into such better words what I was trying to say. Um, and I'd also like to uh, just call out to our listeners, and I'm, I'm very pleased that we have a, a fairly diverse listenership and uh, I would love to hear, I'd love to hear more, you know, uh, from our from our listeners, uh, especially perspectives of people of color, people who have uh, faced stuff like this. Uh, what is your experience? How can we do better? I think it's important to, from my perspective, t- things are twofold. I, I'm, I'm like you, I'm at a loss in so many ways. I'm at a loss of what to say. I'm at a loss of what to do. For myself, I'm forcing myself to consume as much as possible. Just not not to be obsessive, but to to override my instinct to close my eyes and wish it away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm forcing myself to participate in that way. I'm also forcing myself to listen as much as possible and to listen to voices outside of my normal bubble, outside of my normal consumption habits. To, to be abreast of the conversation that is taking place, the spin that is taking place. And what I encourage people to do, what I'm trying to do specifically, is to amplify voices that are pointing out that this is a very complex situation and issue. And it's way too easy to paint groups of people with one brush, especially when it comes to protest versus rioting. Uh, I, I, I'm hearing... As, as things get more complex and more more rage sort of fills the, the conversation, I'm seeing a, a lot of attempted casting of the entirety of the protest in one light. And it's not that. Uh, there is some, there are multiple forces at work. And yeah. uh, I, I would just encourage people to, to listen to as many diverse voices as possible, to get as many perspectives as possible, and to participate as you see fit, obviously we can't, especially us, you know, we can't tell people what they should do, what they should say. If, if anything, that's what this is about. Um, yeah, no, no, for sure. And like, I, 
yeah, like like you said, it's it's very complex. But one thing, at least from my point of view, is not complex, and that is this the institutional racism that that uh, we are fighting against is real and profound, and so is the righteous anger that uh, that I I can only try to understand that I will never understand Mm -hmm. in the world. But, uh, but I, but I will say for myself, like I stand with you and black lives matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I think is, and maybe this is rosy colored glasses, because I think we're all looking for a little bit of hope and momentum in, in situations such like this is that at least thus far from my perspective is that whereas in past riots that I don't, I don't I'm sorry to use that term in past boilings let's call it that well but there there there's a distinction between the protests like you know it you know people calling protesters looters no there are it, protesters right. and then there are looters they are two separate things yes and i think that that distinction this is the first time at least that I can recall, and, and unfortunately, we've lived through situ- similar situations, and a lot of yeah. times they fall on yeah, deaf ears, and the, and you know the news cycle moves on in a couple of days, and there you go. You know, even the L.A. riots after like a week, the 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 conversation changed. Yeah. Um, this time, at least in a lot of the conversations I've been able to consume, people are making that distinction, Keith, between yeah those who would be opportunistic to take advantage of a situation like this, the unrest to act out uh, criminally, yeah. and and those voices who are screaming and pleading just to be heard. Yeah, and, and honestly, like, even it, with the exception of the white supremacists going in and stirring things up, who I'm perfectly happy to just fucking drown them. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I am not in a position to judge you know uh some of the some of the things that are happening i'm just i'm just not in a position to judge that i i do not know and um but i'll say i'll i'll say this sort of tangentially um you know say you're looking for signs of hope and at least for me i always look to i look to history for hope you know i i look back to the to the 1930s and the great depression and sort of what caused it and the uh, economic inequalities and the uh, distribution of wealth becoming so upside down and the failure of the government in the 30s and the disaster that was the depression led to FDR coming in the social you know our our entire social structure protecting folks and changing the way our country worked and and uh, you know it's was not without massive holes in who it was helping and protecting Uh, but from that disaster came hope. And I, I think about the other thing, you know, you, you go back to the 60s, you go back to 1967 and 1968, which this really, I mean, I wasn't there, but it really from, uh, as a student of history, feels very familiar. And out of that disastrous couple of summers and the assassination of Martin Luther King and and Bobby Kennedy and all of the riots in Detroit and everywhere, out of that, in again a flawed vessel and a flawed system, you had LBJ of all people 
passing the civil rights bill, which did not fix everything, but at least it made things a little better for some time. And so I'm hoping that perhaps we can have our little <laughs> LBJ2 come in and and make some changes to get us at least marginally better than we are today. And, you know, I also want to point out that I'm going to single out CNN only because that's the most recent network I'd kind of been glued to, who I think are doing really excellent non-sensationalism coverage. Uh, but that's a that's an argument we could have as to what you think of their coverage. But what I'll say is that they have been doing a decent job of getting people who are in the protests uh, on camera. It's not just they're not just they're allowing the conversation to take place. Yes. And many of the young people who are filled with rage and and hopelessness in many ways that I can't understand. We've we've covered that. Uh, but they are passionate and they want to see change. And it's not just indignation. There is there there is that's my hope is that these young that the young generation who who are <laughs> paying a lot of the bills for receipts we 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 racked up. Yeah, the they're they're paying our bills for our privilege, our privilege. Yeah, and they are so well spoken and so passionate and so forward thinking that I believe in them, and I only hope that there are voices in our generation and leaders from the generation above us that will emerge yeah. to help guide them to to come to fruition the change they they deserve yeah. and want to see. No, and, and and in the 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 moral and leadership vacuum from the top, we've seen some tremendous leadership um, coming from mayors all over the yes, country, governors, governors from all of the, all over the country. I mean, even the the chief of police in the district that this happened, I I, I thought I, I watched live on CNN him being questioned uh, by George Floyd's brother. And said that all four of these cops are equally culpable in my eyes. Complicit, and complicit, I complicit. Believe. Yeah. And and I think that was, you know, that there there are some terrific young voices ready to to fill the leadership vacuum, and I look forward to that. And a lot of those are making their rounds on social media. I'm going to do my best. Look, I, I, and it's not going to be comprehensive in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to just try to locate some link, some resources where people can at least. Uh, be informed, help certain organizations we feel are worthy of, you know, uh, criminal justice reform or those helping protest pro protesters out. I think that fits within the realm of what we can do in our little niche, niche and what sort of the show, you know, it's interesting. This podcast isn't just, it's about, we've dis already discussed uh, racial injustice and, and criminal justice reform and, well, it's what the practice is about. Yeah, like that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's the whole thing. I mean, like that's much to much to uh, David E. Kelly's credit. He's trying to have these conversations. You know, twenty-one years ago, you know, written by white people primarily, and so it is not without its, you know, sort of structural flaws. But the the intent is there, and uh, with this cast, with this, with a lot of this writing, and so it feels like a platform to continue these discussions 21 years later. So as Keith stated earlier, we are not running away from this issue. We're not trying to hide from it, but we have 
decided that listening is what we're going to do in our little circle. And so once again, we encourage any of you, regardless, you know, not just uh, people of, of, of color, you know, of course we want to amplify those voices because I think this is the moment, but anyone, we want to hear what you have to say. We'll try to share that conversation with our listenership. I think we're a family, you know, as, as small and tidy as we may be. And that's how we're going to proceed for the time being. Uh, so in the spirit of the practice, its message, and what it has to say, we, once again, will keep rolling. We haven't missed a week yet, and we don't plan to, and we're going to just uh, continue on. Yes, and uh, what better way for us to uh, show our, our commitment to listening than for <laughs> us to talk for two more hours? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> And, you know, look, I, if you're listening to this now, uh, you may, this may, you may be listening to this in 20 years and have no idea what we're talking about, but I think you probably will. Uh, but you, you came here perhaps for a break, perhaps for a, a chance to think about something else. So, uh, starting now, we're going to hop back into the time machine <laughs> to 1999. Uh, but a simpler first, time. A simpler... Uh, uh, mm. well, it wasn't. We just didn't have iPhones. Anyway, uh, but let, let's Somebody throw begin. that in quotes. That's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. Let's... Well, I, did, I didn't come up with that idea. Definitely. Um, but let's start our show proper with everyone's favorite segment. Filings and subpoenas. Filings oh. and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. We have heard from our friend Leanne, but this time through email, who says, still listening. I don't need a plug or a shout out, just wanted to write in and say that I listen to each episode in their entirety. As uh, as we pointed out, we were, <laughs> there's a certain episode, if you get all the way to the end of it, we'll plug your shit. But she said, I have endured Every shenanigan, mistake, and ill-timed joke on this podcast. Thanks for the top-notch content. Oh, our ill-timed jokes, I think, are really best ones. Yeah, I think we've decided that our listenership, we love them, but they are masochists in many ways. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, Especially I mean... Leanne, because I should point out that, you know, we, uh, we, I follow her on the social media, and her journey to, to get almost... Uh, up to she's date almost with caught our podcast. Up. Yeah, she's almost caught up. And that is some marathon listening between working out and writing and editing and transcribing and all the things she uses us to as white noise to. <laughs> it's a lot of Mike and Keith. That's, so we, that's true. We're, we're a white noise generator for Leanne. I edit these episodes and, and I have to listen to a good portion of it back while I'm doing so. And even that is, enough, is too much for me. So uh, God bless those who do it for recreation. Uh, yes, indeed. Oh, uh, you know, I, with all of this, I forgot we have, uh, we actually heard from some of our cast members this week. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The big news too. Two. Do, do you have it? Can, can you pull it up? Uh, I, I don't, uh, because I'm actually using my webcam busted. So I'm using my phone as my webcam. So, oh, all right. Well, I, you know what? I can find it. I can yeah. Find I'll it. give a summation while you find it. Uh, we, we commented on a, a Marla Sokolov fan page, or they tagged us, and so they we, tagged us. We made a and comment, and Marla then Marla Sokolov, Mac, Mar, yes, and both 
actual Mar- Marla Sokolov and Kelly Williams were having a conversation about how it's it's tough because the practice get, was filmed in a time before good cell phones and good social media. Uh, in fact, Kelly Williams makes a mention that she only had a flip phone at the time. And so I didn't have it, any phone at the time. Yeah, it stinks, they say, because they didn't get a lot of, you know, on-set pictures and such, and they still love their time together. And we happened to be joined in that conversation, and they started liking our posts and, and had a laugh or two. And so basically, we're best friends with them now. So that's that. <laughs> yes, indeed. So uh, so Marla gave us thank you, and Kelly gave us a like, and we like and thank both of them, uh, you know, for for participating with us even tangentially it's it's very uh it's very exciting we've heard we've, we've had at least some interaction with about half the cast now yeah so uh let's hope as we as we push forward we move towards that future where they'll all agree to read our ghost episode that will be our, oh. our celebratory screenplay that we oh, write yeah. our teleplay what are they called what this would be called the teleplay T- teleplay teleplay yeah uh, that we're going to write to celebrate our completion of the series and they're all going to agree to come on and voice act it for us on zoom amazing amazing all right well it is time to hop back into the time machine to 11 november 21st 1999 and adds to the ink Eternal question as I pause and make noise <laughs> mouth with my mouth to, while I find the cue. Talking. Ask, I'm uh, 40. <laughs> and ask the eternal question Mike, what were you doing? This day in the basement. November 21st, 1999. I had just turned 19 years old. Oh my oh. God. Oh my God. It's so long ago. <laughs> I'm so old. Ugh. My hair is so gray. Um, yes, it, yeah. But look it how is. much of it there is, Keith. No, I, and that's and that's the thing. Like, I'm just happy to have hair. <laughs> right, that's true. Like, that's I, I've never had good hair, but I have a lot of it, and I'm very happy at 40 to have that. And you, you have a great silver fox mane, but it's it happening. is thick and hearty. Yeah, thick and hearty. Oh man, so many <laughs> jokes on episode 69, but uh, just they just oh. don't feel right to make right now. Um. I was, of course, this is close to Thanksgiving, week out from Thanksgiving, so I was back in the King of Prussia, Pennsylvania area, and this was that first year out to college for me, and so I was doing that thing everybody used to be able to do and loved to do, is you go back to your high school, you say hey to all your teachers from senior year, you're hot shit because you're off to college now, and... Uh, that's basically what I was doing, hanging out with my friends. And I'll, I'll point out, I think I've mentioned it before. We used to go over our, our dear adult friends, uh, the Kaler's house, and they would make us all kinds of food and invite us over for dessert and hang out. And it was just a great time uh, visiting family, coming back from college, especially since I was uh, trying to keep secret the news from my family that I was uh, flunking out of college. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Well, I, I, Going back to your high school when you're 19 is like fun and cool and like, hey, people remember me and I'm like here, you know, trotting on uh, all this old ground. Uh, Don't go back when you're 35 because then you're just some weird fucking creepy old man. All the teachers, nobody knows who you are. Nobody has ever seen you before. And I'm like, I feel like I'm going to be on a list. I'm just trying to see if, (laughs) like, look at the old trophies, but nope, I should not be here. It's also interesting to think back to even being 19 and how 
even 20 years of wisdom past that, everything I thought was important and all of the self-importance I had at 19 was so misplaced. Ah, oh, so misplaced. But that's how that's why we live, Keith. That's how we that's that is how we garner said wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Well, fair enough. All right. Well, I'm gonna so uh I have, you have to two teases story. Yeah. What's that? You we had two, two teases. teases. All right, so here is my the continuation of my story. Uh, because last week I talked about uh taking the Greyhound bus 13 hours through the middle of the night from Rochester to Albany to Burlington and the miserable experience that was. And I teed up that something related to this made my music theory teacher cry. And here's what happened. So uh, my music theory teacher assigned the class uh, a composition uh, assignment. And we were dealing with classical form. And I think we were using, I think, one of Haydn's forms like a babies whatever whatever and uh also in that voice leading and getting all of that and the chord structure and the all of that like composition and so i'm like great no problem so i wrote a song about the experience on the bus because it's me you know I, yeah. I had to write a joke song and i wrote a joke song about riding the bus and it being miserable and wanting to kill everyone and uh so i i I was at this point now an established theory nerd. So the actual assignment stuff was technically perfect. The form, the voice leading, the everything was perfect. I, but I wrote it in a contemporary style and I added lyrics to it just for fun. And I handed it in and she handed it back the next day. And she had written on it in giant, like Trumpian marker letters F, nothing here worth saving, start over. And wow. so I went, uh, I went, uh, uh, say what now? Nothing worth so I, saving? N- nothing here worth saving, start over. Wow. F. And so I, I went to her and I was like, what, what are you talking about? And she's like, uh, this is, this is not, th- this is the wrong style. This isn't in Haydn's style and, and this is offensive. And I'm like, but you, there's nothing in the assignment about style. It's about form and voice leading. And I don't care whether you're offended by the song. Don't read the lyrics if they're offensive to you. It's, it has nothing to do with the assignment. That was just there for fun. And uh, she held her ground and held her ground. And I held my ground and I held my ground uh, until there were tears. And then what I did is I just said, all right, here, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to read, I'm going to hand it in the assignment again. I just handed her the exact same thing and said, grade it for real. Yeah. Or give and, me the F and there we go. Well, no, you, you can't give me an F. I did the assignment to the letter of perfection, graded again. And she, to her credit, went and talked to her boss and gave me an A. Well, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. That's what I say. What yeah, a, that's well, a, deep, a different lesson to learn, right? Yeah, well, it was you know, it was one of those things where I the the number of slow realizations that maybe I <laughs> this wasn't the hill an environment that quite got me. Yeah, like the, the, it was it was an, an amazing school, but it didn't quite get where I was coming from. And to be fair, like I didn't need to be such a dick about it. Uh, 
But to be fair, she started. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I'm going to, there's an episode about this already. I'm not going to go into detail about it, but you'll never, I'll never forget. Like I said, one time I had busted my ass on an assignment and my teacher, because I didn't stencil my cover or something, I just kind of did my own artwork and I'm not a great artist. My teacher just made an assumption that I didn't give a shit because maybe they were judging my attitude. They were bringing in some other things. And I was like, but I did this assignment and it's completion. I finished it and I busted my ass for it. And they still wanted to fail me because they didn't like my aesthetic or they, yeah, let's, let's boil it down. They didn't like me. So there are times in life you got to put your foot down. Now, as you get older, you're like, well, maybe that wasn't the hill to die on, but uh, it, Righteous indignation is the right of every young person coming up in this <laughs> yeah. world. Yeah, well, I had another time. I was in middle school, and I had like this assignment. It was like define. There's like here's thirty vocab words. Like define ten of them. That's the assignment. And I was like, you know what? I'm feeling jazzed, so I defined all thirty of them, and like typed it up or whatever. And my teacher failed me. Because the assignment was to do ten of them, hmm. and uh, that my uh, to be to be uh, to give credit, my parents, who are both public school teachers, almost burned the school down over that one. <laughs> I tell my little nieces and nephews, and I have a lot of them, uh, because you know parents sometimes often lose sight of the trees from the forest. The forest from the trees. Which way does that go? Forest from the trees. Yeah, and I encourage them to be creative because. A lot of times, you and I know, especially as being professional creatives in many ways for most of our lives, people often want to crit be critical of your work. And on some level, that's great, and that's how you learn, and that when you're a professional, that's part of the game. But also, creativity is not to be policed. At its most fundamental level, it's yours and yours alone. And yeah. you don't have to listen to a goddamn thing anybody says about it. Screw them. In fact, I've been forcing myself to remember that by during this quarantine, even though everybody's posting all this content on the internet, I'm trying to like, eh, there's no rules to it. Every once in a while, I'm just recording a song to put on the internet. And, and I give they're my, amazing. And I give myself two takes. I'm not overthinking it. I don't give a shit what anybody else to say about it. And I'm just putting it on the internet to remind myself that what I do is for me and it's mine. And yeah. That's important to remember going forward. Anyway, no, we've no, lost totally. We've lost the thread. Let's keep moving. Uh, what have we ever had the thread? That's a good point. Okay. It's time for the Out of Practice Podcasts This Day in the World. The greatest hits, the biggest movies, headlines from Vermont, essential sports updates, and for some inexplicable reason, the weather from 20 years ago. Now back to Keith and Mike. It is November 21st, 1999. This, the top song, of course, continued to be smooth by Santana. And in the tradition of when a song has been on the top for a long time, we find a cover with Adam Lambert. <laughs> so this is the 2009 American Idol cast singing with Santana. Because why not? The cover of the Berlin Free Press talked about threat of Sanders' challenge-aided compact coalition, which is a little goofy, but this is talking about Bernie Sanders when he was being challenged for his congressional seat back in 1999. The top movie was The World Is Not Enough 
Well, James Bond film took in 35 minutes. 35 minutes. 35 million dollars, which everyone was pretty pissed because the movie was only 35 minutes long. They're like, I just paid a full price ticket. What the hell? All right, that brings us to... It's time, it's time, time, it's time, it's time for sports. sports. The New York football giants lost to the Washington racist names 23-13 at Jack Kent Cook Stadium. Kerry Collins relieved Kent Graham and threw for 221 yards. Stephen Davis rushed for 183. Meanwhile, at Veterans Stadium, the Eagles were blown out by the Colts 44-17. Edger and James ran for 152 yards and two touchdowns. Donovan McNabb threw his first touchdown of his career in this game. Kerry Collins, his career trajectory, I expected more out of him. Penn State, a great quarterback out of Penn State, led him to the Rose Bowl, and then he just was kind great of... for us. He was he took us to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but he that, was the that wasn't long was the, though. It wasn't long lasting. No, but he he had at least six years or four or five years. He, but he was our best free agent signing of all time. What took if us I, to the playoffs multiple times? If I took a time machine back to those to that date, Keith, and I was like, hey, Keith. By the way, we're friends in the future, but you should know that in the future there are no sports. There are literally no sports happening except a like celebrity golf tournament here and there. Yeah, yeah. That would have responded. I, I wouldn't be thrilled about any piece of the future. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? I would be like, pass. <laughs> <laughs> You're my friend in the future and there's no sports. I might as well just end it now. Oh my god, I'm gonna be forty and chubby and uh the fucking guy from The Apprentice is the president and the world burns. Great. Oh, man, what the hell? Okay. Also a Go. pandemic. Keep it light. Right. Keep going. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, that, uh, no, let's go back to the pandemic. Yeah. We're going to talk about the fucking weather. All right. Can you tell me the weather? I can. I'm going to. Because we all need to know. Do we? Was it hot? We, we really don't. Snow? Neither of those things. Tell me Could the these segments feel any more irrelevant now? Years ago. <laughs> already irrelevant. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. The weather on my head is better. It's grown back. So that's a win. So true. And uh, because I'm a New Yorker right now, I've been here for almost 20 years, and I love my city, and I love uh, the people here who are fighting the good fight. I'm just going to stick back to, to the usual, Keith. It was 57 degrees in 1999, November 21st. It made its wow. way all the way up to 59. It only went to a low of 51. It was partly cloudy, but the sun did come out. The sun came out again. So, uh, oh well, that was uh, it's warm. It was warm. Oh, oh God, I'm participating in the segment. No, I'm ruining ah, it. So yeah, <laughs> it was only partly cloudy, and the sun the sun came out again. That's that's what's important. Oh my goodness! Well, we're 35 minutes I'm in. I'm a human being. God damn it! My life has value, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. It's time to talk about the damn episode. Okay, this episode, season four, episode eight, entitled "Committed." Of the practice, which we mentioned, uh, November 21st, 1999, it was written by David E. Kelly and Todd Ellis Kessler, who last wrote on Marooned. It was directed by Arvin Brown, who last directed Free Dental, which leaves us with only one more question. What is that supposed to mean? What's your problem? Is this what happens to women when you insert your penis? What? 
What does Mike think's gonna happen? You know, what if he would have drank the curdled milk? Then what would have happened? So the previously on this week, and there hasn't been that for the past four weeks, uh, kind of ruins things. So I'm going to, you know, full disclosure up front. Uh, we see, we get reminded of the sort of evolution of Eugene's arc with his son and wife, where his son uh, got in trouble and was using his father's things he's learned from the vernacular of his dad's job. And so we, we revisited that whole shebang. And then we saw some scenes of Lindsay's brutal attack by George Vogelman and the sort of aftermath of her saying, Dressed I'm fine, as a Bobby. nun. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine, Bobby. Don't worry about it. So my guess here, and I'm very happy that we're going to probably have a Eugene arc because where has Eugene been? Yeah. Where has he been this season? Uh, so I'm, I think we're going to have an arc with Eugene and his son is my guess. And... I think we're going to see the fallout, more emotional fallout from Lindsay's. We saw her start to break when Bobby told her, you know, the whole wedding thing with his dead mom's dress. I'm guessing we're also going to committed. I don't think we mean committed into committed into your job. I think we're talking. Uh, we're going to continue our discussions on mental health, and either Eugene or Eugene and Lindsay or just Lindsay is going to represent uh, a client with. With an insanity plea is my guess. Is you know, that's that's my guess. Insanity, Lindsay and Eugene. Okay, well, no fair because there was a uh, previously on. Right, so it's a cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. But that's my my thoughts. Let's do an episode after this ad. Season four, episode ocho. Committed. Okay, Lucy, break out the straws. No. Oh, I don't like it either. What's the oh, case? We got another. We got to draw Some straws Dunn's again. Some mental patient petitioning for release. Rebecca, good experience. I have moved beyond <laughs> experience. Thank you very much. And I got to recuse myself. Some of my relations are mental. Oh, forget so it. Oh, oh, that was a. Like, right, guys. That was a joke a worthy of this podcast. Jimmy. Can you imagine? You're up for. Uh, what did they say? Parole? It was a parole thing? Parole, yeah. You're up for parole, and you get a lawyer who had to draw the short straw to take your case. I, it's second time in three episodes, right? Like, life and death sticks. <laughs> oh, damn it. Oh. Actually, we should have talked about it earlier, but I wanted to point out in re-listening to the podcast last week. Uh-oh, what did we say? No, it was weird because we had mentioned that the doctor they used, you know, the, the therapist they used on the stand, the psychologist. Right was the one that they had used in the last episode. Right. But when Rebecca mentions using that doctor, she says last week. So that means that in the uh, metaverse of the show, those, you know, we had talked about it maybe being a trilogy or the, the episodes were connected. Right. They actually took place in the fiction of the show the next week. In running time. Yeah, in runtime and in quote unquote real time. Interesting. Yeah, anyway. Look, mine's long. <laughs> Don't she just made a dick joke. You don't get Keith. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna circle it back. Listen to Eleanor's joke, and then you better da- have that damn bumper ready. It's yours. Oh damn it! Oh look, mine's long. <laughs> I got a very big dick. Yeah, we're back, baby. 
Because you don't get them, I get them. Sorry. No, you date them. Oh, that's mm. amusing. No, mm. Eugene, it's your ex-wife. Oh, shit. There's always a phone call. It's always it, a phone call. Lucy gets a phone call constantly. Hello? And it's always a relative who's fucked up. Also, let's note, clearly there's a very sensitive phone call that Eugene has gotten, and the entire firm, should we give him some, pri should we give him some privacy? No, let's all stare at him. For the cheesy pulling. We can only hire seven extras for the scene. Studio backlot Steve. Keith, what is the mullet to non-mullet ratio of the extras in this episode? Ooh, it's pretty high. Gee, are, they they Take it easy, are they asking a question? He's the only cop in Boston. Ray Abruzzo is the only cop in Boston. Hey, some serious shit has happened with his ex-wife here. He's in his bedroom. He's okay. Played by Eleanor. Eleanor. I'm going. I came out of the shower. I just, I just came out of the shower. Okay. What the hell happened? I'm going to go check on Kendall. Can you wait right here? Yeah. Come back, okay? I will. Come back. You wait right here. He's going upstairs. Oh, man. Eleanor is Dad. with Kendall, his son, played by Billy Thomas. You okay? I'm okay. Is mom okay? She's fine. Show me. You don't need to. I said, show me. Dude, a lot of cops. A lot of suspense here. What is happening? Here's the big reveal. Murder weapon appears to be a baseball bat. Your ex-wife says she a... got up to take a shower when she came out of the bathroom. This is what she found. Holy shit. There is a dead dude in Eugene's wife's ex-wife's bed who has uh, been beaten to death with a baseball bat. Wow. Oh, shit. So, now, if you're playing at home and you are watching us do this live, you could see me frantically telling Mike to keep it rolling because he wanted to stop it. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. we always stop it 10 seconds before the credits and then uh, and then have to awkwardly I sit. I wasn't trying to stop it. I was trying to lower the theme song. Oh, so professional. Mm -hmm, but I accidentally stopped it first. So, <laughs> all right. Oh, so boy. Well, we have ourselves in a pickle here. Yeah, are they going to make some accusations uh, towards Kendall? Well, so, I mean, there's I'm a dead guy. Everything. We're going to stick with each other, and we're going to get through it. Eugene. The police want to take him down, get some statements. I don't think it's smart. Why? Mike's giving me short answers. I think they're both suspects. What? They're not finding any signs of forced entry. The bat, I guess, belongs to Kendall. Well, of course they're going to be people you of interest, be right? I don't think we should let them talk. In which case, they'll definitely be suspects. If they cooperate, then that'll be that. Eugene! I don't think we should let... What? This All whole... you do all day long is say, don't talk. Don't, don't say, say anything. anything. Yeah. And now he's like, his kid and his ex-wife, like, oh, you should talk. Now, coming out of our mouths, I can't even... This is... Oh, my, this is what an awful time to have to say this. But Eugene is also well aware of... The, the, everything takes a different undertone because they are black yeah 
Of you course. Know, you know, so he's got to speak as a father trying to protect people. He knows there's going to be prejudice against them. And also, as a lawyer, yeesh. Still, they should say nothing to anyone. Oh, yeah. No, Jesus. Like, they're all, he's trying to, like, prevent them from being suspects. They are suspects. They, they were in the house. They, there's no way to prevent that. They were in the home when it happened. Luckily, no grape jelly Let found at the scene. No. Are they taking them into custody? Eleanor, don't let them say anything until you interview them first. You want me to come down there? Okay. Call me. I'll wait here. The guy was dead? Sharon's boyfriend. Eleanor's going to stay with him. I may need you to go down to the police station. Oh, my God. What? My mental patient. He killed five people. Excuse me? 20 years Uh ago. He's been at Dunsmere ever since. Walter Ahrens. Great. Just what I need. What'd you say? Walter Ahrens? You know? I know. He's my cousin. That's the Hummer. The Hummer? Oh, is this your Don't you remember killer? we were probably in junior high? He didn't just kill people, he tortured five girls. And supposedly he would hum while he did it. I remember that guy. The Hummer? You can't be springing him. The Hummer? Hummer. Hey, guess what? Hummer doesn't didn't mean in 1999 what it means today. I got a very big dick. Episode 69, ladies and gentlemen, brought to you by <laughs> The Hummer. The Hummer. Where's Kendall? They want to keep you two in the different Hummer? rooms. The Hummer? Eleanor's with him. Wait, is Kendall the Hummer? Oh, no. Why? Why do they want to separate it? Sharon, tell me exactly what happened. I went into the shower. I banged I my boyfriend. Out. I took and a shower. Like you saw him. He got banged. You smashed with the night in your bed? Yes. No, don't bury the lead, Eugene. Come on. What's his name? Scott Turnbull. I mean, to be fair, it is he his boyfriend. Last time we saw Somebody them, it I felt like they him. were getting back together. You would... That's fair, but the stakes are different right now. Yeah, there's th- there is a dead guy. Yeah. Dating. Eugene, don't go there. You had a son, and this is. I someone... said don't. Well, the police are going to be going there, Sharon. You're a suspect. Especially if we believe, and we do currently that neither of them had anything to do with it that means someone brutally murdered a guy in their house while they were there knowing it yeah which means so many things it does they're in danger is what it means well yeah you didn't hear anybody come into your bedroom you didn't hear someone get beat to death with a baseball bat well that also like means that whoever did it had to be really good at it like you know because you had to like knock him out on the first swing otherwise there there would be chaos and noise yeah like found him dead we don't know how he died that's like she was just in the shower like in the same room practically in the ensuite and to to do it so effectively well they were effective yeah they were effective with a baseball bat which, which only means one thing and that it precludes you from being a suspect oh snap baseball burn Baseball! No, I <laughs> was we played wiffle ball in the backyard, and I'm terrible. And Jillian's like a natural. It's very annoying. Okay. Should not surprise anybody. I, I try to find out what's going on. 
Eugene. Uh oh. He's about to drop an apple one more you thing. You overslept. I planned on having him gone before you dropped Kendall off. All of a sudden, I heard my mother screaming, and I ran into a room, and I saw it. What about before she was screaming? I didn't hear much. When I dropped you off, what'd you do then? I just went to my room, put in the CD, and started getting ready for school. You didn't check on your mother? No. Call out to tell her you were home? I figured she might still be asleep. You know she was in there with a the man? I figured she might be. How'd you figure that? I knew some guy comes over when I'm not there. Weekends when I'm with you, I come home Mondays and I see stuff in the refrigerator that I know she doesn't even eat. I'm well, it sounds like she's being respectful. Trying to be, at least, yeah. yeah. She's cheap. Don't you ever talk about your mother like that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So what just happened there was Eugene just, like, charged at him and grabbed him by the neck. Uh... Dude, you got to lock that shit down, Eugene. You can't do Even in 1999, you can't do that. And Yeah, Eugene could probably benefit from some like meditation techniques and a deep breath here and there. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> having been on the receiving end of that one or two times, actually prompted by kind of exactly the same thing, uh, that's not something you should do to a kid. Just FYI. How we doing? Ready? No. We're not giving you any statement. Now, hold on, though. Yeah. I understand not giving a statement. I understand, right. I understand the, the principle. But I also know that I thought it generally went like, I'm not going to say anything without my lawyer present. Right. If you're innocent, you can give a state. You can tell people what happened with your lawyer there. Right. I don't know. What, what's the purpose of like not saying anything at all? Make them gather well, evidence because first? you don't. Yeah. You, you don't give them anything to use to incriminate you. And especially if the lawyer doesn't know what happened, you don't know what you're telling the police might be significant without you knowing it. Right. And just like, oh, well, you know, like, oh, I was wearing sneakers or whatever. And you you don't. Uh, you know, like I went out running and they know they, ha they have a, a shoe imprint that, you know, is is tied to it. Yeah, I mean, it's I guess at, at, at face value also, if you are innocent and you don't say anything, in in even if you are a suspect, in them gathering, if all went well, if all went like legally, you, as they gather evidence to, let's say, uh, convict you or to arrest right. you. They would find exculpatory evidence and find the proper person. Hypothetically. And, and I think it all goes down to the burden of proof. Right. So they have to, you don't have to help them prove anything. They have to establish, it's, you know, you don't want to give them any, uh, any rope. So Lindsay is walking into a prison. Egg on the belt, all jewelry and metal objects in the bin, then through there. I like this haircut for Lindsay. Yeah. Will she refer to the gentleman as the Hummer to him? This feels very Silence of the Lambs right now. Oh, definitely. She even has the same haircut as Dirty Falls for them. She does. Yeah, no, that's that's totally true. 
This is a very just clear. A minute. When was Silence of the Lambs released? 91, I think. Why do I know that? I don't know. That was very quick. Oh, give me a break. Welcome to Dunsmere. Please don't feed the animals. Oh, okay. Seems nice. How tropey is this going to be, Keith? They all like to flex their muscles. It's a prison thing. But this is a psychiatric hospital. Oh, right. I forgot. Maria Hernandez, supervising psychiatrist. Shall we? Spoiler alert. She just said her name. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor is Yvonne Cole. Yvonne Cole, who did 99 episodes of Jane the Virgin, was in Switched at Birth, Teen Wolf, and The Godfather Part 2. Which I just watched. Oh, my God. She was in it. Oh. Lindsay Dahl. I certainly give you credit for taking this one. Court-ordered assignment. Well, I'm going to give you credit anyway. I was going over Mr. Aaron's file. He's still on the antipsychotic medication? Close up him. No recent history of violence? Not in the 10 years I've been here. Very He's been very cooperative. He's actually a model patient and sweet. So you'd support his release to a group home in the community? I will and have the last three petitions, but... It's probably an exercise in futility, Ms. Doe. 20 years. If this were a real prison, he'd be up for parole by now. Yes. But let's not forget who he is. The, the Hummer. Hummer. <laughs> there she was. Who's it gonna be? Who's Ready? it gonna be? Oh, I'm so excited. Are we gonna go. get a guest starry guest starry? I mean, it's a pretty big setup for somebody who's not a guest starry guest starry. That's a good point. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Just with a wig on. <laughs> <laughs> what if Larkett played every single murderer? Walter, there's Lindsay Dole, your court-appointed attorney. She'll be handling your petition. Hello. The Hummer is Richard Thomas. John Boy from the Waltons, but for me, he's Bill Denbro from the TV movie of It. He was also is it? in the Yes, with that with that horrible ponytail. Oh, that was the worst. Oh. He does not have it here. He was all he's also on The Americans, Just Cause, Adventures of Swiss Family Robinson, Roots the Next Generation. He started working in 1956 as a four-year-old. He is an Emmy winner and Golden Globe nominee. He is a Tony and Drama Desk nominee. He has 14 Broadway shows under his belt. And uh, ironically, I saw him in David Mamet's race on Broadway. Hi. I think it was Thank Mamet, you wasn't it? for taking my... He's had real humdinger of a career, huh? My case. Mm. Sure. I just need to ask you a few questions. Certainly. How did they know he was humming while he killed people? Good question. Uh, I understand that you've been stabbed yourself. Is that going to be a problem? 
Yo, he's creepy AF. Would you like me to stay? That's Lindsay Dole, bitch. She don't need you. She fake shot a guy. We faded to commercial. Three sets of prints on the murder weapon. The mother's, the son's, and the father's. Eugene's. Baseball bat. It was kept in the front hall closet. I'm sure they all had opportunity to pick it up. What else? Uh, physical evidence, none. Buddy, no sign Kravitz of entry force. Or Is there no other uh, uh, district attorney? It's always, Hel well, clearly it's always Hel Helen, but when it comes to these cases that involve people from Bobby's law firm, can't they find somebody else? Apparently not. There's only two cops and two DAs in all of Boston, and everyone in Boston is related or an old friend to Bye. one of Am our right? cast members. Coroner marks a time of death between six and nine. That's consistent with the woman's statement. I see the boy has a drug history. He comes home, finds his mom in bed with a man not his father. Wouldn't give you a statement? On the advice of counsel. My money? He's the killer. Oh, that Look, was pretty I know easy. These people, they're my friends. Which makes you biased. Don't be your little Napoleonic self on this one. I'm calling in a favor. Put your best team on it. Already have. I don't want to be leaving things to his conclusions. That's a good zinger, as opposed to being shitty about it. That's nice yeah. from a coworker. This proceeding, as I'm sure you know, will be in front of a jury. This is good. Since no judge wants to be the one accused of letting the Hummer back out in public. The Hummer. All right. Well, if you haven't started already, we are. Firing up the old drinking game. It used to be every time. All right, every time Hummer. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to play the bumper every time they say Hummer, and we're all going to take a drink. It could be coffee. It could be not coffee. I'm not encouraging <laughs> any. It is a Monday, but <laughs> yes. Oh, we, I, I'm sorry. Are we making that distinction during COVID? That's a good point. It's, it's uh, today. It's like. At this point, my distinction is like, is it noon or? <laughs> uh, yeah, I got asked to do something for work. They're like, are you free next Tuesday? I was like, uh, what? What is that? Tuesday? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the most annoying thing is being asked to do something after like really six. I'm you. like, oh, I'm yeah. supposed to be drunk by this. What are you doing? Silly folklore. Actually, I have a. This is a complete non sequitur, but I'm just going to bring it up because what the hell? That, that'd be a first. So what do you do? Uh, yes, there's a lot of downtime right now. Uh, I got asked at work to do something that is not my job or team because like they don't want to hire people to do said task. And so they're like, oh, Mike, is, he's clearly got free time. He'll do it. I feel like I have to put my foot down. I want to be a team player, but like that's not my gig. That is not my gig. Uh, so make, yeah, so make a decision tough. for me, Keith, with zero context and or information. I say at this point, uh, do it. Having a job at all is such a great luxury. Uh, it don't seem like the hill to die on. Well, if you knew what people who do said job get paid and what they want to pay me, that would change. But anyway, this uh, has nothing uh, to do with anything. Bye. Uh, well, use it for later. Uh, do point. it then when you ask for I'll a I'll be raise. calling Dr. Hernandez first, and then I'll be calling you. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna, this I is an yes. open proceeding. Nice. We can expect some family members of the victims to show up, though they're not allowed to testify. The only issue that we really need he to... knows, Lindsay. This is our third petition. What well, I don't... I'm he sorry. Just sort of I, I'm, I guess, I, I guess I'm a little jumpy. I understand. Miss Dole...
I'm really not the person who did those horrible things. Well, technically you are, you are the okay. person. Tell me, what do you think of that person? I'm glad he doesn't exist anymore. Mr. Turnbull was going through an ugly separation with the business partner, so they're checking. Michael Kasner. He claimed Scott stole from him. He did threaten him once and came to his house. Have you ever seen him near your house? No. Well, the police are running him down, but... I have to tell you, right now the investigation is focusing on Kendall. What? And his not making a statement, it only fuels the suspicion. And how old is Kendall now? Is what, Absolutely 12? not. I agree with Eleanor. If we can Speaking put this of... to rest. Eugene. The fact that he's not talking is making him a suspect. He was there, Prince on the Bat. That's but what's making him a suspect. We're fueling their we suspicions. Have you we... even talked to him, Eugene? What? Have you really talked to Kendall? What the hell do you mean by that? You know what she means. Have you really talked to him? I don't need him? to talk to my you son. You sure as hell do. Certainly before we can ever, ever let him give a statement to the police. Look, Helen tells me that they're checking into somebody who had some bad history with the victim. But Eugene, come on. The chances of somebody else going into your house committing murder with a baseball bat and neither Sharon or Kendall hearing anything... I'm not going to listen to this. You may not want to hear this, Eugene, but you Did need to hear it. they not lock their doors? Talk to Kendall, and then we'll make some decisions. I think what Bobby said there, Keith, is a good sort of thesis of the world right now. You might not want to hear this, but you need to listen. Yeah, fair enough. However, the white guy telling that to a black guy is <laughs> yeah. a little upside down. That is upside down. You want me to jump in on this? If not, no, apropos, I, I think too many the reason we're in this issue. Worse. What do you think, Ellie? I don't know. So you basically have a jury trial to... We know Kendall, though. We've met Kendall. Yeah, he's a little teeny bit manipulative, but he's not shown any sort of violent, ragey outbursts. I think well, we he's can... he's also 12 or 13 or however old he is. And, you know, part of this... <laughs> everything comes back. All roads lead to Rome, but, like, part of our country's institutional racism is treating black children as older than they are. Determine whether he's sane. Pretty much. Is he sane? The medical opinion is yes. Since he's been on the medication... Well, what's he like? He actually seems kind of gentle. Hey, Lindsay. I'm Mr. and Ms. Rapson are here to see you. Wow. Hey, Lucy. Nice blouse. Uh, I know you're setting it up. I gotta find it. I gotta find it. Uh, wait, where the hell is it? Hold on, hold on. This is this is good podcasting, right? Dears parishioners, parishioners, it is time to contemplate the answer to one of God's greatest mysteries. What the hell is Lucy wearing? Well, she's got like a green silk ninja jacket, but the sleeves are like bell bottoms, but sleeves. Yeah, right, right, good, good. With her uh, weird phone contraption that looks like a tricorder. Yeah, and like a very stark part where I like I can see her scalp. It's very wide. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but you know what? She's still she's still beautiful, inside and out. <laughs> Who are they? 
No, you wouldn't tell what it's in regard to. They just said it was important. You know, I'll, I'll point this out. We forgot to mention earlier that one thing Kelly Williams said in her posts, uh, we were in our di dialogue, in the like brief interaction we had on Instagram, was that, and it, I found this very interesting, actually. She said that David e. Kelly's scripts were so dense, there was so much line memorization that had to take place, there actually wasn't a lot of time for hijinks and, like, be well, I, I believe it. Frivolry. And and because he was writing so much, you know, he's writing two shows at the same time and being the lead writer on every episode. I I have to imagine there was a Sor uh, Sorkinian uh, lack of lead up <laughs> before you get your pages. I I can't imagine they had much time with it before they had to shoot. Uh, should be noted. I can't remember the name of it off. I'll, I'll mention it in the show notes. But David E. Kelly actually just there was they we talk about Netflix a bunch. They just. Uh, green greenlit uh, like a five part series that he's doing. He's it's like a novel he's making into a, a series for Netflix. Awesome, should be cool. We got more. We had a Patreon. On the way. We could do it, but we don't. Yeah, I'm Lindsay Dole. Can I help you? My name is George Rapson. This is my wife Ellen. We understand you're representing Walter Aaron's at the hearing tomorrow. My daughter was murdered by your client. Yikes. It may have been 20 years ago. I'm sorry, we Tom really shouldn't be Burris? We're not allowed to speak at the hearing, but I thought... Mr. I could Rapson, uh, this conversation is inappropriate. I'm sorry, I'm afraid I'll have to ask you to leave. How can you fight to put this monster back on the street? Mrs. Rapson, we're all very sorry for your loss, but as Ms. Dole said, this is, this is not an appropriate discussion. Come on, Ellen. We wouldn't want to be inappropriate. Ask me, I don't blame him. I didn't ask. So what? The guy's on medication. That just makes him a murderer on drugs. Invent the pill that brings those teenagers back, then we can talk about letting them out. Hey, Jimmy, how was it last week you developed a crush on a client after she emptied her gun into somebody, but for my client, it turned into Jesse Hills. And there are here. He was mentally it was the ill. End of the All right. Jimmy's always conservative at the beginning of the episode. Are you sure you're okay to do this one? Why wouldn't I be? You want to ask our son if he committed murder. I have to find out what his answers will be to certain questions before I let him speak with the police. What was he doing in your bed? I said, don't. School day, Sharon. School day. I told you I overslept. Oh, I'm sure you were up half the night. You were tired. Eugene! What do you think it's like for him to come home and discover his don't mama? Don't you start judging me! He's judging you! He called you cheap! Objection. I found it. I found it. That was really oh, good. I was wondering what. I was like, man, he's really considering my objection here. <laughs> uh. No, we are, we are now hitting the point in the episode where low cal Keith kicks in. Oh, okay. I've had no cows today, and I just, I get it. I get it. It's TV. It's TV. It's TV. I just feel like there's like a really there's a really small window of opportunity here. Like they really have to do their best to protect their son here. This squabbling is not important it it he's de already deflecting blame to his ex-wife for no no reason and 
also throwing what his son said to him back to his wife just to hurt her is really fucked up. Yeah, I mean it's that's understandable, it, but yeah, no, it's it 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 is you know we're forest and treeing again. Um, but I you know, I've never been in this particular situation, so I imagine that it is pretty fraught. But it seems odd. That's what he said, Sheriff. He was angry about that. I do like, though, that in my experience of watching divorced couples, and I have experience, uh, multiple experiences, this is true to life in that it is a roller coaster. It it goes back and forth wildly, and maybe not the kind of stakes we've seen with Eugene and his, his ex-wife, but definitely the emotional roller coaster is pretty true to life. Of course. That man being there. And he's acting his ass off. Yes, he is. I pray to God that he didn't. <laughs> but I, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna appeal your objection. Your honor, are you serious? And that is because uh, his son's feelings about this is kind of what this whole case, if he's the suspect, the reason he's a suspect, his motive for killing this guy is being upset that his mother is has moved on. So it's actually quite relevant to the story everybody's feelings about this person being in the room okay aha i win kendall we're your parents I'll, I'll allow it because because if we look at the acting stakes in that scene it's the it's the what do you want right and right. eugene's want was to convince his ex-wife that he has to question the son directly she was opposing that, and so he had to throw the motive out there. Okay. Right. Yeah. I'll allow Good it. Good call. All right. The main thing here is that we have to be totally honest with each other. And I like you that they're doing it together. I did it. No, we don't. Then why are you even asking me? Man, I don't believe mm. this. Kendall, sit. This day in history, Keith, I, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You didn't hey, think I was going to hey. have to say something the second you took your headphones off, did I? You know, I just, like, I'm getting a little blow blood sugary. I got some Werther's Originals here. Oh, oh God. Fuck I, you. You really are 65 <laughs> years old. Although I do love them. <laughs> I do love them. Uh, you know, Kendall just, because you missed it, but I know you'd watched this already, Kendall just said, mm. I can't believe you're even asking me this. And it's ready to storm off. It reminds me of an indignant Mike and Deglio when he was about 19 years old, which is why I'm bringing it up. It was when my parents found out what was going on with college and stuff. And they uh, wanted me to take a drug test to see if I was doing drugs because they could only equate that I must be doing bad in college because I was on drugs. Interesting. And I used the same thing back at them. I was like, I, I, I can't even believe you'd accuse me of that. I don't want to take this drug test. They were like, just take it. I was like, I tried to throw the guilt back. I was like, you know... Uh, I'll take it, but you're, it's going to be negative, and then I hope you feel bad because, you know, instead of trying to help me, you're trying to just make it, take the easy way out. I was not as eloquent. I think I was just angry and stuff, but anyway, 
But no. m- much like what I imagine is going to help with you happen with Eugene and his wife, uh, my parents followed through anyway, and I was not on drugs. Ooh, stay tuned for that day in the basement. <laughs> the police are focusing on you. Depression, Keith, depression. And I'm going to help you. I promise you that. But for me, you have to come clean with me. You understand? Kendall, your father asked you a question. Do you understand? Did you murder that man with a baseball bat? I understand my parents are sitting here asking me if I'm a murderer. Did you choke up? The answer to your question is no. Good performance from Billy Thomas there. Is this my is this my Hulu or are they doing the worst slow motion no, ever? No, they're doing the worst slow motion. Lindsay's leaving the office. Flashback to George Vogelman. It was a nightmare. It's a, it's a shitty nightmare. Okay, hold on. We've now established some rules. We have uh, our cinematogra- cinema- cinemagraphic rules. If it's a flashback to a terrible thing, it's black and white in right. full frame. If it's a nightmare, it's color, but it's like 15 frames per second. Well, stop motiony. Yeah, it was more stop because they it, in the flashbacks, this, it's frequently slow motion. But like bad slow motion. This was actually like pausing on certain frames for 10 or 15 frames or duplicating them for 10 or 15 frames. Either way, it's terrible. But I would like to point out that credited as Nightmare Nun, as fake George Vogelman, is Lee Smith. Oh, they couldn't even get they couldn't even get Michael Monks back, huh? You're gonna have Michael Monks come back for those like that split second nightmare. But what we learned then in the lore of the practice is that <clears throat> when Vogelman committed the crime, even though we saw him on the street dressed as a nun with full face exposure, when he attacked Lindsay, he had a full black ninja scarf over his face. Ah, but that was the nightmare because she didn't see his ah. face. So in your subconscious, I think she blacked out the face. Wow. We really have uncovered We've uncovered so many layers here, folks. We went really deep on that bad nightmare scene. And a bad dream. What is it? It's interesting that Bobby and Lindsay both sleep and in full makeup. Knife. <laughs> and hair. Mm-hmm. Her hair great. is perfect. They look great. I think you should get off this case. It doesn't affect... You're representing a guy who stabbed girls. I can do the case. I can take over Rebecca. I can I do it. No, you're determined to do it. Good distinction. <sighs> Prove. You're the one who accused me of pretending you didn't get stabbed. Bobby, I can do the damn case, all right? Bobby took that opportunity to, like, get a couple of relationship leverage points. Now you accused me. You accused me. Now you're doing it. Oh, no, he's he's litigating. That's typical relationship. I mean, uh, I've I've been told I'm, 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 like, being married to a lawyer before. Honey? You know how you don't like it when I uh, don't put the seat down? Well, I'm seeing a lot of your hair in the shower drain right now. Doesn't seem <laughs> equal footing to me. <laughs> I'm not sure you can. Logging evidence. Why? I suddenly can't be a lawyer anymore? Nobody's saying. Yes, that's what's being said. Listen, why did you take this one? I was assigned it. I think under the circumstances, you could have declined it. 
we had a very I'm not going to let those circumstances control the rest the of my life. How about just a year? I talked to Bay this morning. I tried to get him to submit written questions to us. He wouldn't go for it. I didn't expect he would. So Kendall basically has to field all the... I want to be in the room. Well, that's a given, Eugene. We'll both be in the room. If we don't like the way it's going, we'll cut it off right there. There is one possible piece of good news. They found a blonde hair, a single strand in the bedroom. And this Michael Kasner, the guy who had the run-in with the victim, he's got blonde hair. So does Sharon's housekeeper. Yeah, but Sharon said she hadn't been there since Monday. The hair was on the bed? Floor. So it, it could have come off Sharon's clothing or somebody she brushed up with at work. Uh, yeah, maybe, Eugene, but it's something. You know, maybe we can prove that somebody came into that room. I to point out that Eugene is wearing a mock turtleneck, which is what I wore from chronic paranoid schizophrenia. He looks great. In his case, it was characterized up. by auditory Me, hallucinations. Not as much. Auditory hallucinations? Basically, and he heard voices. And these voices, they were connected to his crimes? Yes. He felt he was instructed to commit the killings. Does he still hear these voices today? No. Since going on close-up in 11 years ago, he's had no symptoms of psychosis. The paranoid disorder? It's under control. He is now mentally healthy, in your medical opinion. Well, I would certainly recommend ongoing therapy. 20 years of institutional life can certainly leave some emotional and psychological scars. But I would most certainly recommend his release from Dunsmere. And I have been recommending this for three years. This man tortured and murdered five teenage girls. While suffering Stephen from a mental disorder, he Gilmore no longer suffers from. Gavin that Bullock? isn't really true, doctor, is it? If he were to go off these pills, he could once again fall victim to this paranoid schizophrenia. Isn't that true? It's possible. He could become psychotic all over again. Also possible. Possible? Well, if Mr. Ahrens were to tell you he was going to stop taking this medication, would you recommend his release? No. So we would have to trust him to take his pills, wouldn't we? Yes. And you can't guarantee us that he wouldn't forget... I don't to, think he's... You can't guarantee that he won't forget to take his pills, can you, Doctor? In my opinion, if he has not forgotten... Can you forgotten guarantee ten... this court that he will not forget to take his pills? Of course not. And you can't guarantee us that he might not simply choose one day to stop taking his medication? No. And since the failure to take this medication could cause a psychosis to return, you cannot sit in that chair and guarantee us that he will not kill again, can you, doctor? I cannot guarantee you won't kill anybody either. Zing. Except I'm not psychotic. Zing he back. Is. Now, you said a minute ago you suspected she was in her room with a man. I heard talking, yeah, that's... It's kind of why I went upstairs to put music on. I didn't want to hear anything. And when you heard your mother screaming? I went downstairs, I came to her room, and there was a dead guy on her bed. Did you see anybody else in the house? No, I told you there was nobody else around at all. Okay. Now, when your father dropped you off, you said he stayed in the car. Yeah. Did you actually see him drive off? I don't know. He usually waits for me. But after you got inside the door, oh, he would have then Eugene left. Here? Yeah. 
How did it make you feel, Kendall, knowing that your mother was in her room with another man? I don't like it. Did it make you angry? All right, I don't think Excuse this is... Excuse me? We're here to collect information. We're here so I can ask him some questions. Okay, look, I think we need to set some ground rules. What ground rules? Richard. This is a homicide. We don't set ground rules for interviews with suspects. This is over. Then right. I'll just... Let's have everybody the lawyers in a room for a second. Oh, if I'm in a room with him, he might get hurt. Quiet! We're all going to take a minute, then the lawyers will meet. I'm not meeting anywhere Eugene, with him. Eugene, we don't owe you this. Let's just do it. Mr. Ahrens, you've been listening to the doctors discuss your current condition. What do you think? Are you mentally ill? Yes, I am. Do you suffer from the same disease today that you did in 1979? Yes, but I'm not sick. Not anymore. I used to have hallucinations. I was afraid that people who tried to help me or be nice to me were really out to hurt me. Women, mostly. And that I had to hurt them first. Is that what Richard happened to Thomas those girls? Is really yes. good, understated actor. There was so much noise in my head then. I couldn't think clearly. But I can now. I know that what I did was horrible and unforgivable. Not as unforgivable as your ponytail. And I don't yeah. ever want to be ill like that again. But why should this jury have any sympathy for you at all? They shouldn't. I don't deserve sympathy. I'm not the victim. Those people, they're victims. I murdered their daughter. But I did so when suffering from a condition. Mr. Ahrens, tell us about this condition from your perspective. Well, as the doctors explain it, there's a part of my brain called the amygdala that was overstimulated with brain chemicals, making me hear and see things that didn't exist. Objection. Foundation. He's giving a medical opinion. Sustained. Just tell us what you felt, Mr. Ahrens, in your words. I would get these impulses, these overriding urges to, to hurt people. I can't explain it any better than that. I wish I could. All I can say, I couldn't control them. But with the medication, I can. I couldn't get that tune out of my head. I had and to I have. Time. You say you want him to cooperate. Then you ask him questions designed to elicit incriminating responses. That's not what I no, was No, don't give doing. me that. Hey, look, we don't have to continue this. In which case? In which case, nothing. Go ahead and arrest him. That will only guarantee his silence. Look, here's the problem here. You need to make an arrest. You need to get a conviction. Going after Kendall is the easiest way to accomplish that. So that's how he becomes the focus. Is that right? Damn right. Pick the easy target. Was his back? He was there? How dare you? I know you. If I were picking easy targets, Eugene, I'd have gone after you. What? Come on. Your prints were on that bat. You were there, too. Come on, jealous husband. Ex-wife's in bed with another man. Hey, let's not forget about the temper. You've beaten up your own clients. You just threatened to hurt me three minutes ago. Richard! You talk about easy targets. I could try this thing in Dedham, put the big, black, jealous husband on trial, and I'd probably get my conviction. Don't be accusing me of going after easy targets, Eugene. You'd be it. Opportunity, motive, black, prints on the weapon. You'd be it, and I'd get you! I'd get Oof. you. Nothing relevant about that today. What did I text you two days ago?
A, a lot of things. Which one? Uh, the one where I was like, Keith, oh, well, because yeah. our episodes are generally, it's, it is not crazy, but crazy how just like doing a, doing this podcast about a show 20 years ago and we're like looking in a mirror half the time. Yeah. And, yeah. and here we go again. Seriously. Jason Kravitz is come and get me. so good. And I'm, Believe my- I'm mad that he is because now he's going to force my oopsie pick to be that much more difficult. Yeah, it's going to be a hard one this week. Boy out of it. Everything he said was accurate, though. It would be a much easier case for him. Yeah. Mr. Anders, you once said to a fellow patient. But he was accused of that. I hope they never let me out. Because I'll probably kill again. That was before I started with the medication. Before you murdered Lori Rapson, you first cut off both her hands. Objection. My client pled insanity and was found insane at the time Move of that Move to attack. strike that. I object to Look, she can give her conclusion during final arguments. This is a cross-examination. All right, quiet. Mr. Bullock, the purpose of this hearing is to determine the defendant's current mental state. And actions speak to that, Your Honor, even if they're past acts. You're talking about 20 years ago. Ms. Dole, so your objection is sustained. That's true. Mr. Bullock, do not revisit the horrors of Mr. Aaron's crimes. So it was 40 years ago. Mr. Aaron's time. That's when I was born. Hey. Do these pills you take, your medication, do they affect your conscience? My conscience? Yes. Ooh. Does this close a pin affected? Gavin Bullock is a great lawyer. I can't say that it does. I don't think it would. And the psychosis that you had, was this a permanent thing or would it hit you in stages? The latter. Most of the time I was fine. And then suddenly I would get the paranoid impulses. So in between these killings, you would go back to your normal self, the self that you resemble today, is that right? I don't know. I guess so. Well, then why? During these periods of normalcy, after you had killed somebody, cut off hands, committed torture, why didn't you turn yourself into the police before the next bout of paranoia hit you? He's asking medical questions. I am not. I'll allow it. You said yourself that these pills probably don't affect conscience. We're dealing with the same conscience now as we were then. And then, in between these stages of psychosis, you didn't turn yourself in, Mr. Ahrens, knowing there might be another victim. Wow. Fascinating. Stephen Gilborn is great. It was racist. It was not racist. I was just telling you. You're talking about going after him because he's a big black man. That isn't racist. I was speaking statistically. Come on. He accused me of going after the easy targets. I was telling him statistically he would be the easiest target. Yes, because he's big and black. Yes, but that makes me pragmatic, Helen, not a racist. Well, then you're a dangerous, twisted pragmatist. By the way, are you sure he didn't do it? I mean, did you even take one half of one half of a second to ask yourself? No. Why? Because he's your friend? because you're just afraid of being called a racist if you weren't so little i'd beat the crap out of you right now i mean the theme here is difficult conversations examining your bias examining your racism examining what defines bias and racism even in your own life nobody wants to label themselves the bad guy well and institutional the racist institutional setup because he's talking like he's he, what he is what he, he is saying is true and it is racist 
and from his perspective, also pragmatic. It is fascinating. Well, you know, Russian state media today where they're saying that they were even pushing the narrative that the White House, if they're smart, what Trump should do is not say anything, let the violence escalate so that they can paint uh, angry the angry black mob as the bad people and then just run on the law and order ticket. Of course. Same thing Nixon did. Get out. It's my office. Bay is a really Son fun villain, though. Mm-hmm. Sorry. We just got preliminary results. And then, in typical practice trope, they diffuse the tension in an excellent uh, dialogue Pratt-fall. that was taking place by doing a comic comedic beat, having Ray Butso open the door and hit Twerp's nose. <laughs> Back from the lab. We're ready Much to like we do, rest. Keith. We're the same thing. Yeah. Find a joke. Wait, he just said they're, uh, they're ready to make an arrest. A few months ago, Abruzzo Mike did. talked over the Just got preliminary episode. results back from the lab. We're ready to make an arrest. Results back from the lab. Here we go. But first... It's closing time. Time to put your case to bed. It's closing time. Otherwise your client's dead. Closing time. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know who's doing the closing, though. Keith? Uh, for the plaintiff or the defendant, it's not really defendant, for the Hummer, <laughs> Lindsay Dole. We just got preliminary results oh, back from the oops. lab. Oh. We're ready Mike, to make hit the back button. <laughs> we want to keep staring this scene over <laughs> and over. <laughs> Wait, are the A results in? Ago, are they ready to make an arrest? I was stabbed. I almost died. And for a while, the person who did it was out there at large. And I can't even begin to tell you the... I, I can't begin to tell you. Until my good friend Helen murdered him for me. The man who stabbed me, he's dead now. And I'm glad. Those people, perhaps they wish for my client's death. It's natural. But today's trial, it's not about vengeance and it's not about retributions. And it's not about forgiveness either. Like every trial, it's about the rule of law. Walter Ahrens was found not guilty by reason of insanity and accordingly institutionalized for the duration of his mental illness. The uncontroverted medical opinion before you today is that the insanity is over. Through medication, Mr. Ahrens is well again. And under the rule of law, that means he must be released. You don't have to like that. You don't have to agree with the law. But you did assume an obligation when you were sworn in as jurors that you would uphold it. He is not cured. He is just not symptomatic as long as he takes his pills, just like an alcoholic isn't drunk so long as he doesn't drink. But who's to say? What if he falls off that wagon? What if he doesn't take his pills? Or what if after years and years of use, He builds up an immunity to the medication and it is no longer effective. There are questions here. And in answering them, who do you give the benefit of the doubt to? Him, the man who gutted five teenage girls? Oh yes, in the controlled environment of Dunsmere, he is behaved, gentle, civil. Does that guarantee us that 
When we put him back out there with change stimuli, with the pressures of having to work for a living, does any of us really know what will happen? Oh, yes. Let's trade on fear. Let's be safe. Let's give the benefit of the doubt to the people. That makes sense, doesn't it? But following that, we shouldn't let epileptics drive cars, should we? So what medication can control seizures? Let's play it safe. Better safe than sorry. While we're at it, why don't we round up all of the HIV-positive kids and get them out of the schools? Once we start going down the better safe than sorry road... Hmm. It's a really well-argued case And you're not congressmen deciding what should be the law. You're jurors obligated to uphold it. And the law once again says if he is now sane he should be released it really feels like a good close for this sort of whole four episode arc right because we had yeah. the first case where they were like uh she you know she had a flashback to childhood and so she she killed her her mother and then her sister and she was found not guilty right right then we had the rape victim who was found guilty uh, temporary insanity or however you want to call it. Now we have this client who was found guilty but now might get released. So like it's Well, and and before that you had Raymond Oz. Right, exactly. So mental illness and it's the questions keep coming, right? It's not just what happens at trial, but then what happens 20 years after trial. Right. You know, it's right. It's, well, it's it's risk versus rule of law, risk versus justice versus whatever. Like everybody's a risk and you know, and even if you're a risk you get convicted of murder, your sentence runs out. You're still at risk of killing people. You can't you can't put somebody in for longer than their sentence, it's even a, if they're a risk. It's an excellently consistent uh, through line we've had this season. Yeah, it's what season four has been about so far. You're jurors obligated to uphold it. And the law, once again, says if he is now sane, he should be released. And I maintain, anybody who can torture, who murders, he's not sane. Whatever thing inside him that made him do those things, it's still in there. However controlled, it's been by drugs. Hmm. We are talking about a depraved killer. And when you go back into that room, you had better ask yourselves, how are you going to feel if he kills again? We've been there. It's a question we've asked yeah. for episodes now. Yeah. Where's Kendall? In my office with Sharon. What? The blonde hair. DNA drew a consistent match with the guy. What guy? Kasner, the one who's been having the beef with Turnbull. The victim? He was in the bedroom, Eugene. Kasner went DNA. into that bedroom. Oh, wait a minute. If he was they in the bedroom... They also found splatterings of Turnbull's blood in Kasner's car. The police just arrested him. He went in while Sharon was in the shower? That's what they think. He went into the front door, he saw the bat, he grabbed it, and he went right into the room. How about lock your doors, kids? But it means neither Kendall... It was Kasner. It was his hair in the bedroom. They found blood in his car. The police just arrested him, and it's over. Oh, my God. It's over. It's still a really traumatic fucking thing they went through. Uh, yeah, it's not I quite over. The celebratory overture. Well, they're not going to go to jail. I told you. So I told you.
music is a little too happy, though. Yeah, and, and what I don't, what what I would have liked to have seen if we could re-edit the episode is at least in one of those scenes with um, Eugene and his family, somebody had said, even been like, "Is there anybody else it could have been?" You know, the the conversation was so hyper focused on them. They they did talk about it. They mentioned it. The police, the the conversations between the attorneys did, but did they? No, they. they I don't. I think he mentioned it to his wife. Okay. Your Honor, your verdict is crap. I so, told you, I told Mike you. is tired and he's cranky. He should take a nap. <laughs> Celebratory oh, good... B-roll. B-roll of Boston. Pretending we're not in Los Angeles. Ready? They weren't out five minutes. Three minutes and 55 seconds. I Yikes. Don't, I don't think he's going freaky. Can you even call that a deliberation? Well, well, is uh, it to, for him to be sorry. free or to go to like a different... Oh, oh yeah, hey, right. Public house. Maybe he'll surprise us. Yeah. Halfway house. Excuse me. Yeah. Three and a half minutes. I don't... That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> like, even if it's like open and shut... Three and a half minutes is like, you don't have enough time to pull the room. Members of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Yes, Your Honor. How say you? In Ray Aaron's, we the jury find in favor of the petitioner. Wow. Wow. Okay. Good job, Lindsay. We won. He'll be released. You're going to be free. More good, subtle acting from Richard Thomas there. Oh, now they locked the door. No, they still didn't. So wait, just stop right there. I didn't notice that until just this moment. He knocks on his ex-wife's door. And she opens it. It wasn't locked again. Did, did, did 24 hours. She left the door unlocked. Her boyfriend got murdered in her own bedroom because they hadn't locked the door. She still hasn't locked the door. Yeah, that's traumatic. I got to imagine too. And and whatever. Nope. What is what it is. But if somebody had been murdered in my apartment yesterday, I don't care who they arrested. I probably want to stay with a buddy for a few days just so, as I get my like shit together, as I get my brain. Because that's well, trauma. Yeah, even like they've barely had time to clean out the fucking body. I hope she's but, sleeping like, on the couch. Like, it, like, yeah. What's her bedroom like? What is the state of that? What's going on? Like, hey, Mike, is your is your door locked right this minute? Yes. Did did anybody get murdered in your in your apartment this morning? No. Still locked though. Yeah, and my windows are barred too. I I, I don't know what to say about that. What is that? Why does that keep happening? It keeps jumping. Where's Kendall? He's upstairs. I think he's okay. Oh, yeah? That quick? Yeah, everybody's fine. No big deal. Just I thought dead guy. maybe you guys ought to get out of the house for a few days. I second said motion. Stay with me or friends, whatever. I think we're okay here. Okay, well, all right. They're fine. Okay. Thank you. Well, seeing that you're single now, I was wondering if, uh... Me if you need anything, okay? I will. <laughs> I will. Okay. 
Both of these stories wrapped up too fast, I think. <laughs> oh, I was going to say earlier, I thought for sure this was like a three-episode arc happening, but I guess that's a no. No, I guess we're good. We're good. My son and I and ask him if... Sharon, I couldn't know he didn't do it. I... I'm just not as connected to him as much as I used to be. Eugene, we both had to ask. Not because we doubted him so much as the circumstances. She's become much more reasonable. We both had to at least ask. I just wish I were here more for him. Until he sues her next week. Yeah, right. I do too. They're just great together. Yeah. Really good chemistry between the two of them. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And now they make it out! Did her boyfriend get killed yesterday? I think this morning. Happy ending. <laughs> so he's on the street. Free to hum again. He gets transferred Oof. to a non-secure oh, facility. Wait, 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 wait. I got a very big dick. To a mental prison. Either way, they should stay there. You should be a DA. Don't think I haven't thought of that. Why do I get all the terrible phone calls? Because uh, you're the receptionist. Lindsay. You get all the phone calls. Hello? <laughs> Don't tell me he killed somebody, Keith. I can't take it if he killed somebody. Is the first thing he did kill somebody? He's over there. What happened? Held up a gas station attendant. Knife point. Did not kill anybody. Just held up a gas station attendant. Jesus Christ. Walter? I want to go back. What do you mean you want to go back? The things the DA said. They just keep ringing in my head. You mean like voices? No, not voices, Lindsay. The things he said. What if changed circumstances do make a difference? What if I build up an immunity to clozapine? What if, God forbid, what if a pharmacist... Oh, he did it just to get arrested, Keith. Yeah. He pulled a Brooks. He a... pulled a Brooks. Be out on the street like some loose cannon. Okay, slow down. They won't take me back unless I do something. Now I have. Did you commit this crime so that you'd be returned to Dunsmere? What if the chemicals change in my brain again, Lindsay? I shouldn't be out here. Walter. One of the reasons I took this case, I wanted to prove to myself that I was stronger than my fear. Now you have to prove it to yourself. I murdered five people. Send me back.
So we're not gonna know? You're not gonna tell us what happens, Keith? Well, that is what happened. Does he go back? Don't know. Did they press charges? I mean, how do they not? We end with a question. Fascinating. It's so funny. I, I had the same reaction you did. I'm like, he killed somebody again. Is that a thing? And it, it was it was actually a bit of a bait and switch. Yeah. Because the last last two times, it's or last several times, it's been the oh they were bad after all. And in this case, he does sort of the opposite of what we expect him to, expected him to do, and makes sense with sort of like the the trilogy quadrilogy quadrilogy that we're in i actually went from hating that beat to really liking that beat yeah it helps that they're both excellent actors so that does that does tend to help okay ladies and gentlemen the out of practice podcast in unofficial unsolicited unfactual association with david e kelly productions proudly present oopsie the oopsies celebrating excellence in acting good lawyering good guesting good and being tom brady not to mention this is where we rate the episode and stuff now here are your hosts keith and mike what the hell are the oopsies well i'll tell you it's a fake award show and the first category is Have you been brutally stabbed? Do you then go on to defend a man who murdered five people and get him paroled? Then you must be Lindsay Dole, and you must be the most valuable lawyer. Ooh, well done. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think it's Lindsay. Uh, she did a really good job. Um, you know, I, I thought Gavin was, did a terrific job as well, but she uh, she won, and she's a cast member, so congratulations. Lindsay Dole on your fake award. Actually, speaking of awards, last night was supposed to be the Drama Desk Awards. Oh, interesting. What a difference and a year can make, huh? I, I know, right? And because we were both there and your wife was performing and and uh my sister-in-law who's living with us here was is nominated. Oh my god. And, is she? Yeah. Yeah, she's yeah, nominated for Soft Power. Oh, and congratulations. So we were all uh getting ready to to do that i mean it's all you know was going to be remote she had to be like on a on a zoom and then we were gonna we we're gonna get like a cocktail before and then like do this thing but then of course it, it got canceled because it was going to be on new york one which of course had to be covering uh all of the uh, the protests so it was it was an odd thing that we were all sort of relieved and happy that they we were not going to do an awards show last night but it was also really weird because we don't have any dress-up clothes mm, <laughs> we, we have no way to like it's just we're just sitting in our house so i made a i made a black tie out of duct tape anyway moving on next up already famous because you've been on tv getting a paycheck Watch first entry on your imdb way to go and you're the best guest actor you are the best guest actor Oh man, uh, 
I'm trying to pull up IMDb so I can remember people's names as usual. <laughs> I, okay, ultimately, you know, a shout out to Jason Kravitz, who I think is great in this episode. Uh, also, the opposing counsel, who was Stephen Gilborn. Stephen Gilborn, excellent work. But I think we're both going to agree on the winner this week. As you said, understated acting is something we are both uh, very big fans of, especially uh, when we're talking about television, because often you don't get to see, you get to see it. it's a little more heightened of a style. Uh, so when you see understated acting effectively, it is to be championed. So Keith, our winner this week is Richard Thomas. Congratulations, uh, doing a really good job playing the serial killer with a conscience without chewing the scenery. Well done. Next up. You killed your podiatrist or blew the case, but you let a single tear run down your face. You're the best actor on the show. I thought Kelly Williams had some great scenes this week, but I would be remiss if I didn't once again loud the performance of Steve Harris as Eugene Young once again that he's always ta- he's never never gets an easy one he's tasked with just impossible circumstances uh, and plays them naturally and uh, really effectively every time they zoom in on his face and he's emoting uh, it, it hits me right in the feel zone so uh, I'd like to congratulate and hand yet another oopsie to to Stephen Harris yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, is there is there anybody on TV with a more expressive face who's not mugging? Yeah, right. Who's like it, it he's he's not mugging. He's not trying to, you know, like make stupid faces, but his face just is incredibly expressive. So, uh, congratulations Mr. Steve Harris with your Oopsie Fake Award. Next up. The Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. Ooh, I forgot all about it. <laughs> We've already done Forgotten Brady, so. Yeah. Uh, come on, Sleepy Mike. I know you're crunchy and you want a nap, but you've got to come up with a Tom Brady Award. This week, the... Oh, man. I got it's hard to be, usually I like to tie it to like pop culture references but there's there's nothing happy happening. Uh <laughs> You know what? How about how about Sleepy needs a nap Tom Brady? Yeah, cranky nap Tom Brady. <laughs> Ready for his nap Tom Brady. Yes. Okay, congratulations. <laughs> Ready for your nap Tom Brady. All right, it's time. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce how many spare tires this episode gets. I know there are some really salient points I want to make. I I, I think the through line here has been really interesting. I think so many, I love the way this episode has framed questions. They they, Like you said earlier, they really did a great A-B on a lot of the arguments taking place in the courtroom and outside of the courtroom. I thought the scene with um, Jason Kravitz and Eugene and uh, Helen. I'm just mixing character names and actress names. You know what I'm talking about. I thought that was interesting. You know, a lot of times what David Kelly does, and I think is great, and we've talked about this before, is they don't always give you the answer. A lot of times they just highlight the conversation and the argument, and I think that the show is at its most effective many times when that is the case. 
Yeah. Um, but of course, I can't boil all of my thoughts down. I thought it was a good episode. Like you said, my my nit to pick would be that I, th- I feel like it's one of those scenarios where they just wrapped it up a little too fast. Yeah. It was a little too neat and tidy. And then they still tried to defeat kind of cloud the ending there where we don't really know what the next step is after the knife point thing <clears throat> knife point thing but still i enjoyed it i i do apologize i think it suffers a little bit too because i'm a little distracted just overall um with just the state of everything right now but to that all said i still think it's a solid episode of the practice i'm going to give it 7.75 spare tires yeah, well, I I agree with everything you said. I actually liked this episode more the second time I watched it. Okay, um, because you know a lot of the, especially in the Richard Thomas case, it's dense. There's mm-hmm. a lot of complex intellectual things uh, being asked in this, and I really enjoyed that both sides of that case were argued very very well and had very good and reasonable points to make. Um. I also I agree with you that it does feel both of these storylines feel a little rushed. Um, you know, that said, we've spent a lot of time on Eugene and Eugene's family. Um, and so I'm I'm ready for that to find a new color. Um, but the performances are so good and the dynamic is so good. It it just it felt really fast, uh that storyline felt really fast. It, it's hard to even tell that it took place over a day or two, maybe. And, you know, like we pointed out, with just like moving on from a dead, your boyfriend being murdered in your own bed and everybody's fine. Now she's kissing Eugene. And I get like, it's so emotionally heightened and these things happen. But, uh, but that said, I'm actually kind of right with you on the, on the, uh, the number of tires. Um, just so that we have some distinguishing things in our rankings and not have a lot of ties, I'm going to say 7.8. So 7.75 and 7.8, basically math. Wow, that uh, was, but, what? But a, a, a good, solid episode. Absolutely. Uh, all right, guys, you have gotten your way through another episode of the Out of Practice podcast. Thanks so much for uh, for listening. I know it's been a rough week for pretty much everybody. Uh, if you would like to reach out, please send us your thoughts on this or what's going on in the world at outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, on Facebook at Out of Practice Podcast. You can check out our blog, which I promise I'm going to update this week, Out of Practice Podcast at blogspot.com. Thank you to our founding supporters, Lee Ann Wrights and Cloud Number 69. Uh, that's what I got. Talk. Yeah, you can join Cloud Number 69 and Lee Ann Wrights by clicking on those links in the show notes uh, to donate to our podcast, This Little Enterprise. If you'd like to donate or learn more about the ongoing protests, I will do my best to put some general links in the show notes so that you can begin that exploration. We want to hear from you, your thoughts on the state of affairs in this country. Uh, We want to amplify those voices. And also we'd like to congratulate uh, SpaceX and NASA for once again entering Americans into the the space race. Uh, The future is out there, and and I'm I'm glad to see that that has some positive news anyway and what do you hear in space nothing oh
Laser sounds? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> In the sheer vacuum of space, plenty of laser <laughs> sounds. Yeah.